Good morning. We are going to be in Psalm uh, 85 today. So if you have your scripture, um, there's some pews in the or some pews in the Bibles. There's Bibles in the pews, and uh, you have your digital version or perhaps your own. So I'd invite you to to go there. Uh, today's a bit different with um, the last time I will preach in this space. Um, I will be here for the next couple of Sundays, and uh, we will see what happens on August. 6th with the vote, and also that's a communion Sunday. So you will see me um, tumbling around through here for a little bit. Uh, you will not see uh, Roxy. Today is her last day in Greeley. So um, as we go and uh, celebrate a little bit afterward, and if you want to swing by and say hello, you'll have a chance to do that for me as well again um, as needed or wanted, and then um, not again for uh, her. So uh, that's how that's working. And uh, we are going to walk through um, Psalm 85 today, kind of section three sections, kind of how we're breaking it out. Uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, 73 through 83, those psalms, just to kind of set the table for this psalm, that um, really describes the rocky relationship between the people of God and God, Yahweh and his people. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you will know it's a little up and down. It's a little back and forth um, because of the people, right? It's a little uncertain, unknown, and bizarre because of the people, not because of who God is. And so that's what's coming before the psalm we read. Uh, the people, due to their sin and failure, they're estranged. They get estranged from God. They cry out, God is faithful, and he uh, responds and re-engages. At times, the people gather together to praise and worship in those uh, books of the Psalms, and they praise and they worship because God has acted, and then they default back to kind of their pattern, and, and estrangement happens. In Psalm 81 and 82, God has a chance to kind of describe the relationship, and he recounts his rescue and provision, his love for the people, his call, his faithfulness to the covenant, um, and his loyalty to them, and his desire for that to be returned. The desire is that they would in, in kind uh, be that to him. And so God would provide so much for the people if, if only they would be able to engage that way in their relationship, which they continue to fail at. In Psalm uh, 83, the people cry out for God to come to their aid. And then in 84, pretty well-known psalm, if you take a look at that, is a uh, kind of a preparation for a festival up in Zion. And so it's peppered with worship and this sort of the people starting to look toward Yahweh. And then it brings us to Psalm 85, where we will be. And this is a poem, a song, a prayer asking God to restore the relationship and to set the world right. Uh, and this request is based on who God is and what God can do, what God has done in the past, and what God promises he will continue to do because of who God is. So that's kind of our background of coming to Psalm 85. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read this psalm. I will read it for us, 
can follow along if you want. And then um, we're going to do our response. If you're unfamiliar, we do this, um, I guess, partly. Uh, so my hope would be uh, that you would encourage me with my last Sunday here of a, a vibrant, vital response. You know what I mean, Bonnie? Um, we, we will end with, this is the word of the Lord, and the response is, thanks be to God. Right? But, but like, really, thanks be to God. Usually, it's like we're half-turned sitting, and it's like, thanks be to God. Okay? Uh, so we want to we wanna do it. I trust, I know uh, I know the heart of this congregation, and I, I know we can, we can stick that landing, okay? So here we go. Here's Psalm 85. You, Lord, showed your favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what the Lord, God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly, Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him, and he prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Nice. It only took 15 years. This psalm is many things. It is a prayer uh, for any time that people, the people of God, and, and people who are, have entrusted themselves to God are in need of restoration. So the question, one of the questions for us today is, do you need to be restored today in any way? Do you need to be revived? Anyone who needs to be reminded of God's intention and God's vision for the future, this is a great psalm for us to look at. There's many layers we could consider, so I will leave that up to you. You can sort of hear these next minutes as we walk through this text is either something for you personally, individually, um, restoration and reviving, uh, maybe it's relationships, your family, friends, coworkers, uh, maybe at that level, uh, maybe it's your community, however you would define that, the church uh, for Cornerstone, uh, your, your community you live in, perhaps it's for a city, or as we just heard in that uh, announcement about missions, uh, the county, uh, indeed for the world, and scripture even goes so far and is so bold as to say for the entire cosmos, the entire created order, in fact, needs restoration and revival. So that's where we're going to be. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would continue to be faithful and give us your spirit. Uh, we know if we come to the text as students and we submit ourselves to your word, that you are faithful and true to make it come alive and speak 
to us. So we ask for that. Uh, do what only you can do and apply uh, what we're going to look at to each person here this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Verses 1 through 3. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Simple observation on the text. A little help in color there. Um, The focus of this remembering and the beginning of this poem, Song Prayer, is pretty clear. It's you, Lord. And um, whenever you see the, the Lord in all caps, that's the authors for English tipping us, that is Yahweh. That is the, the formal name of God, Jehovah Adonai, Yahweh, um, different versions of that. And then we see this past tense language. Here's what Yahweh has done. And so it's a remembering and a call to God to implore God to remember. It's a recall of how God in his favor and who he is and his character has restored the people in the past. Forgiveness was given, right? Here's what you have done. Here's how you have worked before. It's important to clarify, though, if you uh, kind of study this section of this psalm, Israel, the people, are not pining for past glories. Pining is a fun word. They are not pining for past glories, which would be longing to return to the past. If you look at this passage and how it's phrased, there's a solid remembering, but they are not, and we'll get to this in a minute in their prayer, they're not just wishing that they would relive Exodus. Or, man, remember that time when God did this? We want to go back to that right? Anywhere in scripture where the people want to go back to the exact thing that they had experienced in the past, it's not good, right? We want to go back to Egypt. At least there we had meat, right? That's not good. We want to go back to something we knew before, and that's not what's happening in the Psalms. So we got to be careful not to put our, yeah, see, Psalm says, let's go back to 1978 when churches were full and everyone, you know, Billy Graham was doing his thing in full force and, and all of this, you know, we know that. You guys know that as grandparents, as parents. You can't go back to when your children were eight years old. If your children are 38, you parent and engage them as 38 years old. You can be grateful for eight, but you live with the 38. And this is what the people are actually doing this in the psalm. They're praising God for what he has done, but they're not pining for past glories, which are often an illusion. There's a realistic view of things. They're remembering, and it's stimulating and awakening something. And it's going to lead to prayer, which we're going to look at, not to dreaming. Prayer, not dreaming. It's not generating nostalgia. It's drawing people close to God. Remembering God's past mercy and acts not striving to reachieve them as they were. This is very key for Cornerstone and for the church that is calling us to be with them to actively work with God to resist the default thing to be pulled back toward the past and then to get kind of 
blamey towards each other and upset and frustrated that we can't go back to where we once were. When God says, no, remember rightly, and here's what happens. When we remember well, it leads to prayer, not nostalgia. When you remember well, it's going to lead you to prayer, not nostalgia, as it does in Psalm 85, verse 4. Here we go. Here's the shift. Restore us again, God our Savior. Put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Here, emphasis is still very much on Yahweh, what God will do, but there's a shift. The remembering and the recalling has now turned the people to do, be, do what you do, right? You guys know that phrase? Maybe, if you played sports lately. Do what you do. <laughs> do what you do, God. That's what the equivalent of this is. Do what you do, but do it now. Do it again. See that phrasing? Again. Now. Uh, here's how you've been before. We know you will do it again. And so draw us into that. The remembering and the recalling on how God restores his people through forgiveness of sin turns the people to say, let's again, uh, whatever that might look like, they're not putting stipulations on, and it must look like VBS from 1985. And it must, God, revive us and restore us again, and it must fill in the blank. It must include polyester suits and white shoes. I don't, I don't know, whatever. I had an image of Steve Martin, you know. It must include whatever that era was, right? Uh, they're longing for the heart of who God is, but in their place, the focus is right. It's important here, show us this last verse in this section, show us your unfailing love, Lord. Grant us your salvation. This is Morgan's favorite Hebrew word, chesed, because he can't say it. He has a hard time with the the chesed. Chesed in Hebrew, this is translated all kinds of ways. We'll see it again in this passage. It means covenant faithfulness, covenant loyalty. Here it's translated unfailing love, um, which is good, but it, it always, always, always has the covenant element to it. So God's love is not how our culture interprets love. God's love is a stability. It brings uh, a constant steadfastness. It is true. It is right. It is good. So let's keep that in mind if we look at this. And in this section, we have a petition for God's forgiveness. Um, and the only way back, the only way back in this relationship, the people acknowledge, is if God acts, if God forgives. The restoration and reviving they are looking for, it cannot be achieved. It cannot be earned. They can't offer enough bulls 
and sacrifices. They can't go to enough festivals. They can't give enough of their resource to cause the relationship to be restored. The, re the restoration of the relationship, and this is key if you hear nothing else, is received, not achieved. It's received, not achieved. And so the people's looking, remembering who God is, what God has done, and now turning towards saying, do that again. God, do what you do. And a recognition that it, this is going to be something we receive from you. It's not something we work harder to get. The default pull of the human heart is to earn. I'm a type A firstborn of three, five on the Enneagram, uh, intellectual learner type person. Um, it's a wonderful cocktail. And the default pull of all human hearts is to earn and to work harder. It's, that's always present with us to gain favor, whether it's through our Instagram postings, maybe, um, you know, we get married and then we have to post every day for the next six months on how amazing we look um, on our honeymoon. Just throw, just imaginative. Um, or whether it's like me, where it's, uh, I still remember all of the, you know, A minuses I ever received, and I try not to curse those teachers and professors. Um, or it's like if you're watching Quarterback on Netflix, recommend. Uh, all of these top-level, best of the best in the world athletes say they remember every single bad throw and missed play that they've ever made. Way more than winning a Super Bowl or the highest of the highs. They remember, I shouldn't, if I could just have that back. I missed that one. And so the pull of our hearts is to work harder, to achieve, to earn the pull to prove ourselves and to control things. Do you feel it as things are not what they used to be in our culture and the church doesn't look like it used to look? And then our hearts are pulled and there seems to be a muse or a something in the air that says, just you can do it. You can make it happen. Work harder. And if you can't do it, blame the people who should. Just be mad at them. You've done your time. It's fine. You're old enough. Blame the young people because they're not doing it right. And if they did it how we did it, right? We know this uh, line of thinking. We try to control and prove ourselves. And the invitation here in Psalm 85 and from God is that we can receive what God has done, who God is, and what God will do. But if we turn to him with our hearts in that posture, we better be ready, right? Because God promises, if you turn to me this way, now we can do what we do. And things might get a little crazy. God's good gifts, God's discipline, God's direction, and God's call are received, not achieved. God's good gifts, God's direction, God's discipline, God's call, they're received, not achieved. You know, we, Roxy and I can't articulate, we can, but we can't articulate what has led to this point that we're going to take this call 
in Fair Oaks. We can, we can share with you the things we have done, our efforts, um, the ways we've tried to cooperate with that movement. But when God decides to move, and if you are willing to receive it, it's just a crazy ride, isn't it? If, if our elders of this church, which I believe they are doing, if they continue to open themselves to what God will give, and they have this posture, you guys better hold on. Make sure these pews are bolted down to the floor. Because if God, if a group of people will receive, quit trying to make it happen and achieve something that you have in your mind, repent, turn to him and say, we genuinely bring it on. We'll receive what you have. But be ready, right? Strap down the toupees. Anchor in. (laughs) Anchor in the teeth. So revival, reviving and restoration is received, not achieved. And here's one pushback. There's many pushbacks to this. One might go like this. Okay, okay. So you're saying we just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and God does stuff? Yeah, right. No, that's actually not what I'm saying at all. And I would like to call on Dallas Willard to help us. He has this quote, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. It's a great quote. I mean, if you don't read Willard, but grace, what God will do, has done for us, in us, with us, through us, that gracious act by God alone, it does not oppose effort. We have worked tremendously hard for this transition. Probably since the end of May, we've done, you know, six or seven days a week, 12 to 15 hour days. Um, I'm not, that's, you know, just kind of in all that's involved in this kind of a thing. Effort is required. Effort is needed. Um, So there's nothing in who Jesus is or what scripture tells us that opposes effort. What it opposes is earning. Think Willard says it right. Because that's an attitude. That's, I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to force this. I'm going to make this happen. And the reality is, scripture tells us our effort and the grace of God, however those come together, when, those, when we're cooperating with his movements, his call, his good gifts, his discipline, his direction, when those start to morph together, there's great beauty in that place. Um, there's also great pain in that place. I mean, all the things, all the things still go there, suffering and pain and difficulty. And, but when we're in that, that's the spot. That's the spot. We're going to see what God has to say about it. Turning toward the end, verse 8 and 9. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Verse 8, what God speaks, God creates. Whenever you see scripture say, um, you know, I will listen to what God the Lord says, or the Lord God says, just like in Genesis, what God speaks, God calls into existence. And here the people recognize when God speaks, when he says this, 
It's as good as done. He promises peace to his people, peace, shalom, uh, and all that that means to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Folly is a hint or a uh, echo toward, of course, Proverbs. And folly could be summed up as, right, many things, but it is a human, a person, or a group of people who connect or build their identity on anything other than who God is. So, you know, take your pick of dozens or hundreds of choices. What we choose, folly, don't turn to folly. Folly is all those things that pull us, whether achieving um, or things that promise to save us. There was um, someone in the political sphere a month ago who said, I am your justice. This was spoken by someone in the political ideology realm of America. He said, and it was not ironic, it wasn't a joke, he said, I am your justice. That's a problem, I think, if we look at Scripture, for any other person to claim to be justice for a people, that is, you know, put up the lightning rods all around when that's happening. 85, 10 through 13, beautiful passage, love and faithfulness meet together. So here's a shift. We remember, we pray, we rightly position ourselves before God, and now here's a vision or a kind of, this is God's preferred future of if this is happening, if we would receive and not achieve, if we would uh, pair our effort with God's grace, look at this picture. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the ways for his steps. These four words, love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace. Love Chesed, this is the word again, chesed there. So it's, it's love, right? Remember, it was unfailing love, now it's love. But remember, it's covenant. It's covenant faithfulness. It's fidelity to the relationship. And faithfulness, this is trustworthiness, steady, reliable, loyal to a person. Um, the fidelity of Yahweh. Scholars believe that John, of the disciple John, has this very section of scripture in mind when he writes in his first chapter of his gospel, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Grace and truth. That's represented here in these characteristics of God that come together Christ is the one with fidelity. Christ is the one with covenant faithfulness. He's the only one who can restore and revive a failed creation. This picture that the psalmist has in 85 of, man, if we would, if our relationship actually connected with Yahweh in the terms of the covenant and we actually stayed true to this, we know what God's like. How incredible would that be? And scripture tells us this would eventually come. God would fulfill this in his Messiah. 
for us individually, our relationships, our community, our church, our city, our world, the entire cosmos. Love and faithfulness, righteousness. Righteousness is many things, but simple definition for you. God's character, the very reality of justice. Only God and God alone can give true justice, can meet out. You have to know everything about everyone all the time in order to be, to distribute perfect justice, pure justice, true right and wrong, right relatedness, right ordered desires and loves. Man, don't we need that? Rightly ordered desires and loves. That's Augustine says when he was converted, and if you read his confessions, his drive, and, and he realized it's all jumbled up. It's misaligned. It's out of order. Submission and desire, it gets very confused for us as humans. And here in this psalm, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Things are in their proper place. Scripture tells us that Christ alone had these very attributes in his humanity. Well, what's it mean for Jesus to be fully human and fully God? It means he walked the earth with chesed, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace, which is shalom, without flaw, without falter, without fracture. He did not need reviving or restoration because he was true in all those things. In grace, this is what we pursue. This is what we put our effort toward. Not that we achieve it, but we receive it. Received, not achieved. Effort, not earning. And the last word here, peace, which is shalom. Not just absent of war, absence of war, but the shalom that is wholeness, completeness. Things are right. People are safe. They have what they need. They're able to live in comfort. This idea of shalom. This section of Psalm 85, if you're unfamiliar, is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture about what God's kingdom, his rule and reign, looks like. It's a true gift from God in all spheres of life, the physical, the spiritual, the moral, the political, the economic, all of it. It's right here in this beautiful harmony of who God is, how he will bring that to bear, and it will impact everything, everywhere, all at once. In the end, all four things, love, faithfulness, righteousness, peace, they're going to come together in an intimate embrace of God and the planet, our world. And we believe and trust that that happened. That's what the Gospels are trying to show to us, that righteousness and peace do kiss each other. Love and faithfulness do meet. And it's in a person we know as Jesus, who is the Messiah. These things are also the fruits of the atonement. For those of you who came to our atonement class and are true Christians now, God bless you. Uh, we did not talk about this, but the fruit of the atonement are these things. Love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace. If you want to talk about how the wrath of God was satisfied, how the love of God was on display, how faithfulness and righteousness and shalom all culminated in what we call the atonement, that's, this is the fruit of that. It's the fruit of what Jesus has earned, what Jesus has received from the Father through his effort that he now gives to us graciously, offers to us. 
renewal, restoration, revival. It's all a gift from God. It's all received. It's not achieved. Let us receive from God all that he plans to bring into our lives. Love you guys. God likes to ambush us, uh, I think probably in grief, times of grief, times of, of great things that he does. And uh, I guess he wasn't going to let me out of this spot. Let us receive from God all that he plans to bring into our lives, into our families, into our churches, into our city, into our world. May we learn from and follow Christ in love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace. Father, would you do what only you can do? Do what you do. We ask that you would help us, help us um, as much as we can to cooperate with your spirit when our hearts pull us and just everything in us at times begs to earn and to achieve and to strive. And Lord, we trust that you want to honor our efforts and you, you want us to work hard, but you want us to do that under the yoke of your grace um, with the freedom you intend. And Lord, for us to really receive all that you have, we pray that you would help us, the elders of Cornerstone, um, Lord, the leaders here in every aspect of ministry, Lord, to humble themselves and like in Psalm 85, to remember you well, to turn to you in prayer and to posture themselves to accept all that you will bring when we do that. Restore and revive in Jesus' name. Amen.